today and for those joining with us also on our podcast service, welcome to Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre and so good that you are in the house of God this morning and I'm excited because we know the promise that Jesus gave us in Matthew 18.20, many people quote this verse, it says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus said, I am with them. So you have to presume then according to the word of God, which I trust more than myself, there is nothing that I trust in the world today, but I do trust the word of God. Amen. And Jesus promised, he said, and says, where, uh, where two or three would gather, I am there. So you can be, know for sure that Jesus is walking up and down the aisles here this morning and God is in our midst. And you think, well, what does that mean to you and I? Well, when Jesus is in the house, in the Old Testament, he was known as Hatikva, which means hope, the hope. And so, and, and uh, they, uh, God said to Jeremiah to give you a future and a hope. And so when Jesus is in the house, hope's in the house, a future is in the house. If you need a future or to believe in for your future, well, God believes in your future. And there's health and there's healing and there's wholeness and there's peace and there's provision and order in your life when God's in the house. Amen. And so we understand that unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain who builds it. So our reliance is on God. It's not in Christian Outreach Center. There's only one person who died on the cross, and it wasn't Christian Outreach Center. It wasn't a Baptist church or any other denomination, but it was Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And so this morning I'm talking about the indestructible faith and the unsearchable ways of God, the unfathomable wisdom of God. Amen? So when we look from a human perspective... I'd like to expand your thinking that there are some things that you are just not going to understand how God does stuff. Amen? And that's why he gave us this vehicle or, or thing of faith that we can comprehend the things of God. Amen? Who knows that we, in fact, do have a, a spiritual adversary? Amen? Some people don't believe we have a spiritual adversary. The Bible's very clear on who he is, and he's Satan, and he's the devil. And, uh, and he does not want the word of God to go out. And, and you will find the greatest challenges in the church is when people begin to preach the gospel from the word of God. Amen? But this says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I send it. That's what God said. And so his word will go out and his word will prosper and will not return to him void. And so the devil does everything to chain the word of God. But even when the Apostle Paul was chained in every prison in the Roman Empire, he said the word of God cannot be chained. Cannot be chained. And, and uh, it's a powerful thing. I trust that this message will bring hope, healing, comfort, as well as bringing and instilling faith into your life. That's what my job is, to instill faith. Amen. And it says the same word being preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. So you have to turn your faith switch on as well. Amen. God has built into every human being a, a substance of faith. That's the promise of God. Every one of us has this substance of faith which needs to be turned on. And I encourage you right now, put your faith switch on, amen? Put believing and then you'll see the power of God unleashed and released in your life. I trust this message will bring these things and the Holy Spirit breathing on his word Bring to your heart a can-do mentality for the day in which we live. So uh, the title of my message is This Indestructible Faith. And to help this morning, I'd like to reference an aspect from the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes. 
And you're going to say, well, Jeff, I thought you were going to talk about faith this morning. Who's ever read the book of Job? Who's ever been called Job? It means that there's a heap of troubles that have come your way. And, and, uh, and we think that initially. But these books and chapters are, and writings, we, we can offer gloss over the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes or miss them altogether. And uh, John Calvin, of his 700 sermons, actually preached 139 messages out of the book of Job. Can you believe that? Now, that took some faith. 139 messages all out of the book of Job. And these books deal primarily uh, with suffering. I'm I'm not afraid to talk about the things in life that come our way, amen, and that come upon the church in this day, in this hour. And so these books of Job and Ecclesiastes and others, they talk about suffering. They talk about pain. They talk about inconsolable grief and anguish. But in fact, the primary purpose they are ultimately about is not about navel-gazing and inner spiralling of thoughts, which this generation has absolutely got a preoccupation with. When something goes wrong in their life, they internalise. And that's not the way that God has designed us at all. And he says, sure, we're to reflect and to look upon things. That's okay. But to, to, to look inward as if you will find the answer within yourself is not scriptural. It is not scriptural. In other words, but we're called in through the word of God to lift up your head to God with a renewed faith. Amen. And for the answer lies not inward, but upward. Amen. Amen. Even Ergon Energy says, look up and live. That's a gospel scripture. Amen. Look up and live. Don't internalize what you're feeling right now because the answer will not be within, but it will be upward. Amen. Not inward, but upward. Will you look up today? And, and it says in, in Luke 21, 28, and this is what Jesus says, Now when you see these things, and he was describing the end of days, as it is in Mark 24, 25, Luke 21, and also Mark 13, the end of days. Now when you see these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. I want to tell you that your redemption draws nigh. The answer to whatever you're going through in life today, look up and live. David said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help. It says, from whence comes my help? That's a question. I ask you today, for where where do you get your help? Where do you get your help? In your time and day of need. Where do you get your help? And David says, my help comes from the Lord. What about you today? My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. Ecclesiastes deals also with this thing called vanities. Of vanities and sometimes meaningless. It's repeated over and over again. Who's ever read, read the book of Ecclesiastes? And, and you think, I'm supposed to read this and build my faith? And here he is, written by Solomon, the wisest king who ever lived, the richest man who ever lived. And he's saying at the end of his life, meaningless, vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. Everything is meaningless. He's outlook. And people can adopt when they lose their way, they can adopt this vanity of vanities, meaningless, everything is useless, everything is meaningless, everything is futile. I mean, I want to turn your thinking around today, that their God has made you, God does not make a mistake. Know this, that God does not make a mistake. And as the salvation for all of mankind was foreordained before the foundation of the earth, so were you, so were you. So are you. And when God created the heavens and the earth, he had you on his mind to inhabit it. It's been said that faith is not tested is in fact not faith. 
And I have found that to be true. You can always, it, when, when you're a fair weather Christian or when things are going hunkery dory, that's not the time when t- faith is tested. As a life jacket is uh, designed to be when somebody is thrown in the water, so faith also is designed when times of hardship come. And you can tell how mature somebody is in the things of God when hard times come by the way that they respond. We've been told that uh, uh, the things in life, it's not what happens to us in life, but it's how we respond to the things that happen to us in life. Amen? How we respond when the chips are down, that tells us whether we're a person of faith or not. And so that through the course of our lives, there are times that we can experience hardship. And as Christians, sometimes we put on this amazing glossy picture, particularly when you're taught or trying to encourage for somebody else to put their faith in Christ. And we can put, paint this amazing glossy fi- picture, amen? And we say, everything in your life is going to be hunky-dory from now on, amen? And we know that not to be the case. We know that not to be the case. When, what happens when sickness comes our way, when a loss of job or finance or relationships end up on the heap, Loved ones are sent to war or prison or the pain of knowing better times. Who's had amazing successes in the past and you reflect on those days with some misery because it's not quite like that anymore. That can happen to us, amen? That can happen to any one of us. Knowing better times, past victories seem only to intensify the loss. And, uh, but when marking on these things, I can see through God's word that most of us have an amazing ability to draw the wrong conclusions. And I've seen so many books written, uh, I've not read any of them because I just like to focus on the book that has the answers, not the one that ends up with more questions than answers, amen? And it talks about why do bad things happen to good people and all that. And people have gone, and really that is the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes. And it causes to ask us, why? Or worse still, why me? Who's ever done the why me thing? It's not a very powerful prayer, is it? It's not really a prayer of faith, is it? But I've had the why me syndrome too, amen? And you throw a pity party and, and uh, God doesn't come, but the devil sure does, amen? When you have a pity party, God doesn't come because he responds to faith. He does not respond to need. And so in the midst of pain, how do we despair? Feelings of despair and loss also occur in this book of Ecclesiastes. The word aimlessness, vanity, and meaningless existence But with a man who had no physical loss to speak of, but in contrast, enormous riches and privileges, this is Solomon. How could such feelings arise when everything is so good? King Solomon was the wealthiest and wisest man who has ever, ever lived. Not only in his day, but who who would ever live. God says that in his word. And how could King Solomon there, I mean, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He had more horses than wives. That's a lot of horses. (laughs) That was King Solomon. And yet he was up on the scrap heap feeling that life was not worth to be lived. I have many friends and they said life was not worth to be lived and they took their own lives. Terrible funerals to go to. Terrible. Particularly when you knew that they were very, very accomplished people. Accomplished in every way. Great abilities. Men's men. One bloke there, the best fisherman. He would catch a fish in the pond on the front driveway. I mean, he was the best fisherman that I, who I ever knew. He was born with a fishing rod in his mouth. Amen? A bit like when 
when indigenous people come out of the womb, they can normally have a guitar and they sing like an angel. Amazing, isn't it? But he was an amazing fisherman. It was like when he came out of the womb, he also had a fishing rod. Incredible. But at the end of the day, as accomplished as he was, he could not find a reason to live. And so he ended his own life. What's the answer? Less or vanity, mentioned 30, a meaningless or vanity is mentioned 34 verses coupled with vanity of vanities and or vanity and vexation. And so these, these books here were 3,000 years old, but the things with man, they haven't changed. You and I still, made in the image and likeness of God, still have these complex things around us that the more we have sometimes, the less we really, the less substance that we have. So gaining things and having things and all this sort of stuff is not the answer. So what is the answer? But this book here, the book of Job, the book of Ecclesiastes, is penned some 3,000 years ago. It's an, it's an up-to-date book describing the thought patterns, really, of the modern man without God. And if you want a pessimistic outlook, you can have everything in the world, but you'll be a modern man without God. And the, we're... People, the so-called progressive thinkers of our age, say that there is no answers to this life and ultimately we will not be answerable to anybody. Oh, what a dangerous way to live. We live every, every day. There's no answers in life. There's no point in life. And so we live an absolutely unrestrained life. Amen? To serve God or have God in, as a perspective, to have a reverential fear of God is a healthy thing. And it will hold you firm to a path of righteousness and will see that your life is fruitful to the day that the Lord brings you home. The result of what we call this progressive thinking is the masses of our population suffer no definable neurosis other than senselessness and emptiness of their lives. The more you eradicate the God out of your life, the more senseless life will become. The more senseless and meaningless everything will become. You eradicate God, and then the next thing, you eradicate authority. You have no reverence then for your father, for your mother, for police, for authorities. You have no, and you, and you think, well, I'm living a free life. But your free life comes at great expense to all those around you, amen? This is the penalty of a living a crazy life without God. A, a, an orderly life. To bring order back into our communities, we need to allow God back into our communities. Amen? Our generation has done everything to eradicate God from our communities and the casualties have been our children. Mortality rates actually decrease in times of recession. Did you know that? Mortality, in other words, abundance and the massive abundance of the Western world and uh, our, our, our mortality rates increase. But in times of recession, less people die. Isn't that amazing? I worked for MLC Insurance for about five, six, seven years in the, uh, in the late 80s and the 90s. And I knew a guy, I worked with a guy from Queensland Trustees, and I says, how's business? Because they deal with deceased estates and all these sorts of things. And he says, business is slow. It always is in the days of recession. It seems like the party-going mentality, there is great people who die, Amen. And so partying and, and great days of abundance, abundance is not the answer for the Western man and the Western woman. It's not the, it's not the answer for everybody, amen? Because we lose, we lose, we lose perspective. Alfred the Great, the Anglo-Saxon king of Wessex, who's heard of Alfred the Great? He is known as one, and he was a godly man. He was one of the medieval warlords, of course he was, they were the men of their day. 
Uh, but he was a godly man, he li- and he reigned between 871 and 899, 899, and he was the king who united the people against the Vikings and the Danes. And the Danes this time and the Vikings came not just to rape and pillage and plunder, but they came to settle. And, uh, and while uh, King Alfred, he was driven into the lowlands of the southern part of England in the swamps, and, uh, and uh, the Vikings not only raiding, but they had come permanently to settle, And he wrote this, and he was a wise man. He was a godly man. And he says, in the midst of prosperity, the mind is elated. And and in prosperity, a man forgets himself. This is a medieval king, an early, early medieval king. In hardship, he is forced to reflect on himself, even though he be unwilling. And that's written historically in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle and in the Doomsday Book. So now with that amazing backdrop there, I'm going to bring us. Now, don't turn your faith off. It's not all meaningless. It's not all, it's not all vanity. There's, you're going to get something out of this, amen? Once again, to build resilience in our lives. We need to become resilient in the day because there's dark days ahead. And I'm always, I feel warned. I feel to always warn the people of the days in which we come. I'm going to uh, paraphrase much. But the book of Job comprises of 42 chapters. I'm not going to read 42 chapters, but basically the first two chapters of the book of Job is the, is the story. The whole of the story is encompassed in two chapters. And it's a bit like a football commentary. The game of football takes 40 minutes a half, and then you have 20-minute break, and then you get another 40-minute half. Is that right? Who likes their football? And then you have another three or four or five or a lifetime of commentary about the game. And so that's what happens. Here we are. The first and second chapter of the book of Job is the story. It's the gameplay. And then we have 40 chapters of commentary of what happened in the first two chapters. Who likes commentary? I like to see the real thing. I'm going to paraphrase much of this in these first two chapters. So Job is a very, very old book. uh, Some call it sometimes uh, the oldest book in the Bible. There was a man in the land called Uz whose name was Job. And so this is east east of the land present-day Israel. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. So Job was was a blameless man. He was an upright man. He was a righteous man. Okay? And he had seven sons and three daughters... And uh, his possessions, he was very, very wealthy, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, a very large household, and uh, he was the greatest of the people in the east. So he was really a king of the land. Job was a prominent man. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters and uh, to come and eat and drink with them. So he had children. He had seven sons. He had three daughters, and they were party animals. Job was an upright man, but he raised children who were party animals. He tried to, uh, he tried to train them up in the ways of God, but they rejected the ways of God and went their own way. And he would make sacrifices to appease or to make a sacrifice to God because he knew that his own children had sinned greatly. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord Satan said to Satan, he said, where do you come from? So Satan answered and said to the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back to and forth on it. 
And the book of James says that that's the job description of Satan. He goes to and fro throughout the whole of the earth, seeking whom he may to devour. Amen? That's his job description. And uh, then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? Isn't that extraordinary? We told, we're told where, where Job is an upright and blameless man, and yet God is having a conversation with Satan himself, and he says, have you considered my servant Job? You see, Job was selected. Job went through tremendous, tremendous hard times, but it was not because of his sin, but because he was righteous that the Lord presented to Satan. And he says, oh, you want to test me in this? That's what happened. And it was a spiritual showdown on a cosmic scale. That's what it was. It was a spiritual showdown. And so we read, we read the book of Job, and, and, uh, and I'll come to that in a minute. So, and he says, but this is what Satan's response. He says, uh, have you not made a hedge? Uh, Satan answered and, and says, does Job fear God for nothing? He says, have you not made a hedge around him? This is Satan talking around his household and all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions, and you have increased in the land. And when you serve God, I have found this to be so. Great blessing will come upon your life, not because of your righteousness, but because you have aligned yourself with the righteous one, that who is Jesus. Amen? Have you aligned yourself with Jesus today? Have you aligned yourself? And you can make that alignment, and you can do it today. And But the Satan says, now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. You see, this was a, this was a, a spiritual showdown between God and Satan. And God brought, forth, God brought forth his servant Job, whom he had great faith in. You say you have faith in God, but God has more faith in you than you have in him. God has faith in you. Did you know that? God has faith in you. And it was so. And so, and the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And we see on one day, not too distant future from that time, in one day the Sabians raided and took, took all his household away, all the donkeys and everything else. They killed the servants at the edge of the sword. And you see, without God's protection, Satan came in and raided the household and everything that's, that Job had. In the same day, while he was still speaking, fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants, consumed them all. Verse 17, while he was st still speaking, another also came, and the Chaldeans, which were the Babylonians, formed three bands, raided the camels, took, took them away, killed the servants, the edge of the sword, Verse 18, while he was still speaking, your sons and daughters, they were also taken away. And so in that day, Job lost all his earthly possessions, everything, including his sons and his daughters. They were all killed that same day. Tremendous story, isn't it? Building faith, isn't it? Is anybody feeling invigorated right now? This book here is not about hardship so much as it is by faith. And to not be a fair-weather Christian, but a, a faith-filled, believing Christian in every season and in every season that comes our way. Jesus said the storms in life will come. It's a promise. And sometimes as Christians, we think that everything's just going to be hunky-dory. But that is not biblical. 
Jesus said the storms in life will come, and they have come to many of us before. Job, this is amazing. This is Job's response. What is our response when the chips are down? This is, the, this is what the story is really about. Job arose, he tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That was his response. Can you say when the chips are down, when things are tough, when, things are, when the bank account balance is, is, in the, is in the red? Amen? We used to say that in the red. We don't get bank check account balances anymore, do we? If we're in the red, it means we're in the deficit. When sickness comes knocking on your door, I pray that you just say, return to sender. But sometimes, what do you do? What do you do? And so in all this, Job did not sin and to charge God with wrong. And so here we have round one. This is a round two fight. And round one, God won. Amen? God presented his servant Job. And he says, I put my money, if, jo if God were a betting man, he placed his money on Job and he said, oh, he won't turn from me just because the blessing of heaven has been upon him. Because when I take away the blessing, Job will still praise me. Is that my answer? Oh, I remember when the chips are down with me years and years ago. And I said, I do not care what comes my way. Nothing will stop me from praising God. Amen. Oh, and it's a good declaration to make. It is a great declaration to make. So Job is selected by God. He is not punished by God. People would around him. If something came my way and people said, oh, oh, well, that Pastor Jeff, he, he's a sinful bloke. I can tell. Otherwise, this stuff wouldn't be happening to him. And we draw conclusions like that. Who's ever drawn conclusions? I have. I have. I've railroaded me friends. I thought, oh, there's sin in their life. Or oh, there's something going on there. Oh, I can tell. That's not so. That's both. I mean... I mean I believe in keeping fit, but jumping to conclusions is not a good way to keep fit. Amen? Jumping to conclusions about our brothers and sisters. Because we're to see everybody. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And I see my brother or sister through the lens of the blood of Jesus. And we're perfected in the blood. And we all need the blood. Amen? There's not one of us here who could stand. Because uh, for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? I'm five foot two. Where does that leave you? We all fall short, don't we? And we all need the grace of God. So Satan's challenge, he says, oh, take away his blessing and he's surely to curse you. But that wasn't so. So round two. So round two takes us to chapter two. Again, there was a day when the sons of God, this is the angels, okay? That's the, that's the terminology used. Came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also Satan was also an angel in heaven before pride got him, amen? He was an angel. He was the musician or the chief worshipper in heaven. Satan came also from among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan again, I beat you in round one. I didn't think you'd come back. And then he says, where do you come from? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Amen. That's what, that's what Satan's job description is. He is always looking for the weakest or the least, for those who are stragglers, for those who are off the track. And he'll pick, he picks the easy ones all the time. Always, always, always. And he, and he says, uh, and the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And then he said, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And God said this again. But all he had was his health. That's all he had. Everything else was gone. And, the, and basically Satan said to him, if I strike his skin, if I touch his health, 
Surely uh, Job will curse you. Amen? And God once again backed his man. You see, God had faith in Job. I want to say that God has faith in you today. I don't care who you are. God does not make a mistake. God has faith in you. Turn to the person next to you and say, God has faith in you. Oh, amen. God likes back and winners. God has faith in you, young men over there. He has faith in you. Oh, yes, he does. Luke, he has faith in you. God has faith in you. Glennis, God has faith in you today. God has faith in you. Job, Job is selected again. He wasn't being attacked and, and Satan did attack him. He wasn't being attacked because he was a sinner. There are all sorts of scenarios regarding why things happen to people and it's explained never in one verse, never in one chapter, never in one book, but it's explained in the entirety of God's word. And I, I, people came to me with one verse of scripture and based their whole theology on one scripture and that is just the greatest way to be deceived. Deception comes when you take things out of context. When you take things out of context, you're left with the con. Amen? And so things happen to us in life for all sorts of reasons. And there's never just one reason in any one situation. And so this is round two. Satan challenged God and he says, if, you touch, if, I touch his, if I touch his health, he will certainly curse you. Amen? And, and, and basically God says, no, he won't. And so what happened here is... Uh, he says, stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hands, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. So, uh, Job couldn't sit down without feeling pain. He couldn't lean on a thing. He had a boil on his finger. He wanted to prop himself up. It hurt. Where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? It reminds, it reminds me of a funny joke. He says, wherever I touch my body, I, I feel pain. And the doctor says, oh, that's, that's because you've got a sore finger. <laughs> but not so with Job. Every part of his body was sore. Every part of his body was sore. And, uh, and there he was. Job's then basically just scraping all these sores off from him. And his friends came to minister to him. And they sat around Job for one week. He'd lost everything that he had. His wife, he still had his wife. And um, his wife had a tongue which was, sharper, which, was, uh, which was sharp enough to clip those hedges out front there. And she said to her husband, curse God and die. And so she wasn't a very good wife. He says, of all the things to die, that's, uh, I'll just leave it at that. And so shall we need accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And so God won round one and he won round two. You understand here? There was a, a cosmic battle going on which Job was not even aware of. And God put Satan in his place because he had faith in his servant Job. God has faith in you today, Ivan. God has faith in you today, Ron. God has faith in you today, Lydia and Asher and Dave. God has faith in you. And you were thinking the successes in life are made of all these amazing right decisions, just one big decision, one big... De no, the successes in life come 
from the incremental steps that we make on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute basis. That's success in God, amen? The things that you do, the choices that you make on a day-by-day basis. The smallest of things, I say, take the high road. Remember the old Irish song, you take the high road and I take the low road. No, I want to take the high road. In every small decision that you make, even talking to the taxation department, take the high road and you'll see that the Lord's hand will be upon your life. Adam, in the days of creation, was in the best of circumstances. Would you have to agree? He was in the Garden of Eden. He was in the best of circumstances. Amen? And a lot of people think to themselves, when I have a new car, I'll be happy. And when, I, when this is sorted out, I'll be happy. When my taxation woes are, when my health is back, when my health, when da, 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 da. I want to say that Adam had, and Eve had everything going for them, and yet they lost. And they brought us all into this fallen creation. Amen? Everything. And yet Job had everything against him, and God won, and Job won. You see, you don't have to have everything going your way for you to be victorious in Jesus Christ. Amen? You don't have to have everything going your way. And it's in the midst of adversity where our character shines forth the brightest. Amen? Solomon in all his glory, in all his status and his wealth, he became a miserable person. He placed his faith. He started out so well. He started out so humble. And yet God made him the wealthiest man who has ever lived. And he ended up being a miserable person. How can that be? You see, our, our circumstances do not dictate who we are. And you are not under circumstances. You dictate circumstances because you and I made in the image and likeness of God. We're given dominion in Genesis 1, and 27. Take dominion, take authority, because that is what our given, God-given job description is, even in Genesis 1, and 27. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The words rang through the heavenlies, and Satan shuddered in his boots in vile contempt of a truly godly man. Job was a godly man. Turn to the person next and you say, you're a godly man. You're a godly woman. Amen. Speak it. Declare it. The Bible says you shall declare a thing and it shall be so. When you come to the mirror in the morning, you're just about to shave. Now, I'm not talking about the ladies. You just point in there and you say, you're a godly man. God is in that suit. God is in that shirt. And you can put on that dress and you say, God, God is in that woman. You're a mighty woman of God. You see, you saw the sort of talk language. You see that uh, the things of the spirit are voice activated and you speak them. In, you see, uh, and the Bible says, I create the fruit of the lips, says God in, in, uh, in Isaiah. Amen. I create the fruit of the lips. That's what God says. So the spirit realm, darkness and light, both voice activated and you speak into being over your own life. If you come to the mirror in the morning and say, I'm no good, I'll never be any good, come into agreement with some teacher perhaps who said some negative words or anything like that, you don't have to come into agreement with those words. Come into agreement with what God says about you. He says, you're made in the image and likeness of God. You can speak that over your life too and begin to walk in that victory. Begin to walk in it. And so there was a spiritual one. Conclu- there was a spiritual battle conclusively won by God in, in Job uh, chapter one and chapters two. And so 
The doorway to adversity to enter Job's life, you could, you could, it could be said, uh, it says in uh, Job 5.7, a man is born to trouble as surely as the sparks fly upward. In other words, you're a human being, trouble will come our way. I mean, we don't declare that, we don't want it, we do everything to avert it, but it does say that trouble will come your way. As surely as you're sitting around a campfire and the sparks fly upward, trouble can come your way. Sparks go out no other way, they just go upward. But Job said in chapter 3, verse 25, he says, For the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. And that is the only doorway that you can see in Job's life that opened the door for any adversity to come his way. You see, fear of man or fear of anything brings a snare. And the greatest thing to defeat any of us is fear itself. And the Bible says to fear God, but nothing else. Be bold with the things of God, with the things of the earth, and to have a reverential fear of God. But fear of man will bring a snare. That's what the Bible says. Fear of man will bring a snare. We are not to fear man. We're to have a reverential, healthy reverential fear of God. I mean, it is a healthy thing to have a reverential fear of God. When somebody loses the fear of God, their lifestyles will reflect chaos. Amen? But when you have a reverential fear of God, you say, oh, no, there'll be consequences. I mean, I don't reverence my, my parents anymore. I don't reverence the police anymore. I don't reverence my school, my, my teachers anymore. But I tell you what, a reverential fear of God is a step in the right direction because then the Bible says that you will uh, have reverence for the authorities that God has placed over your life. It's, not a, it's an Aussie thing just to scorn everybody who tells you what to do. That's an Aussie thing. It's called rebellion, amen? And we think it's, we say it's smugly. You say, oh, I don't take orders from anybody. But that is a, a, a new mindset. And it is a spiraling way for this community to go. To have a reverence for your mum and dad, whether they be right or wrong, makes no difference. The Bible says that you'll actually live a long life. It's a promise. It's the first commandment of the ten with a promise. He says, reverence your, honour your father and your mother, and you will have a long life. And so we see the 40 chapters that come after these two now are a commentary now. And it says, for Job's uh, friends came, and there was three friends initially, and one came later. And it says, for one week they said nothing. But when they opened their mouth, that was the end of good counsel. For one week they said nothing. Sometimes to counsel people who are really going through it, just being with them is good counsel. Opening your mouth and assessing the situation for them can only, you can only misinterpret the whole situation. And for nearly 40 chapters, Job's three friends plus another one, another amigo came along later. Three amigos came and they just uh, gave an interpretation and they used the word of God against their friend Job. But the Bible tells me that God, in God's sight, he was a blameless man. He was a righteous man. And yet they used the word of God against their friend Job and came up with all the wrong conclusions. In the last chapter of Job, God says, pray for your three friends, otherwise I'm going to destroy them myself. You won't have to do it. And uh, Isn't it amazing? And what happened in the, end of, in, in the end of Job? He was restored. And he ended up getting double for his trouble. Amen? And God will often do that. He will give you double for your trouble. 
Amen. If you endured a few things, the Lord, the Lord says he will give you double for your trouble, as he did with, the, with Job. And he ended up, getting, he ended up having uh, 10 more children. They said his daughters were the most beautiful in all the land. He had double, and you can go through the statistics. He had double the camels. He had double the sheep. He had double the goats. He had double everything else. And uh, he prayed for his friends, and they were forgiven. Oh, it's a good thing. In other words... This book here is ultimately not about hardships, trials, tribulations, but it is actually a book of faith. It says, what will you do? When, does, when, when will your faith kick in? Are we a fair-weather Christian and we've got strong faith when things are going hunky-dory? But what about when the wheels fall off? Maybe I didn't get into that university thing that I wanted. Or am I still a person of faith? Now you say, if the Lord has called me, he's called me. I mean, you per- persevere. It's not how hard you get kicked in life or get knocked down in life, or it's not how hard that you can, that you can, that you can punch yourself, but can you take a few punches? And life, life's like that. You have to learn to take a few punches. And this new generation, or the way that we're all being taken right now, is we're not resilient anymore. We just fall down and say, oh, I can't take it anymore. I think I'll go down the road and see somebody. They'll talk me through it. But God is wanting to build resilience in his people again. To be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. To put on the whole armour of God. To put on the, the weapons of our warfare which are mighty in God. The weapons. What is the weapon of our warfare? Primarily it is the word of God. It's called the sword of the spirit. It's not a carnal nor natural uh, weapon. Roman, the Roman Empire defeated everybody with the sword. A military sword. But the, the, wor- the, the, the weapon that God uses is truth. And truth and the light of God will prevail. Amen. That is a promise from God. So the book of Job is ultimately not about hardships, but is how we deal with hardships. Will you still remain a mighty man and woman of faith? Samuel, Samson and John were all conceived in the wombs of barren women. In fact, the nation of Israel was conceived in the wombs of barren women. And resurrection life is always the Christian message, isn't it? And it doesn't matter how dead that situation looks to you right now, resurrection life is yours. Amen? That is the Christian gospel message. God can bring, even in the valley of dry bones, he can minister life. Amen? And not just life, but abundant life. Richard Wormbrand, uh, who's ever heard of Richard Richard Wormbrand? He was the, the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. And he worked behind the Iron Curtain, lived mainly in prison. He was beaten, beaten to death for years and decades in prisons in the, behind the Iron Curtain. But he came, uh, he was 14 years, I think, in a Romanian prison. And uh, horrendous torture, hor- hor- horrific torture. And him and his wife, uh, who was also tortured, and they became founders of the Voice of the Martyrs. I think they're both dead now, but you can still get their magazines today. But out of the life of Richard Wormbrand and his wife was birthed a ministry that touches the globe to this day because there are more martyrs for the Christian faith in this day than any time in history. And I want to say there is times coming in the earth today, even in the West, where the numbers of martyrs will be in their hundreds and hundreds of thousands. That is the era and the time of which we are encroaching. Out of the life of Richard, Worm, Richard Wormbrand, I, it's a bit of a tongue twister, But out of that came so much goodness, amen? And my own faith, uh, it came into its own in the midst of adversity. And most of us are like the rest of us, and it seems like when the pressure is on, you can either turn to, you can turn to drugs, you can turn to, or you can turn to God. 
I turned to God. It was the best thing that I ever did. The best thing that I ever did. I encourage you today, turn to God. Turn to God and you think, well, I'll be going against the flow. And that is true. Because the masses of the earth are going down this broad road. We're going down a narrow road. We're entering by a narrow gate. And that narrow gate is Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. Amen. He is the door. But when you receive Christ, he is the door to eternal life. Oh, isn't that good? Who likes the sound of eternal life? But the thing is, most of these things are brought to a head by adversity. In my own life, I was 29 years old. Adverse situations yet coming my way and coming my way and coming my way. And, but it brought me to the cross. Because my pride was there. And my pride got dealt with. But when I accepted Christ, it was the best decision I have ever made. Ever made. And now I'm able to help others, perhaps. You can't, out of this book called Job and Ecclesiastes, we like to box situations in. And I want to say, Elijah was fed by an unclean bird. Amen? In the Bible, in, the, in Levitical law, a raven was considered an unclean bird. Yet Elijah the prophet in the wilderness, when there was a, a three and a half year drought, he was fed by God with an unclean bird. You see, you don't want to try and box God in. He'll do things just the way that he sees fit. Any way that he sees fit. You say, he shouldn't have treated Job like that. Who are you, O oh man? Does Paul address Hosea the prophet was asked to marry a prostitute. Who, who can put their mind around these things? Hosea the prophet, his, his writings are here. But God asked him to marry a prostitute. Who, who wants to box God in? What happened to Ezekiel 44? which describes the sort of a woman that a priest should marry. God will do things just the way that he sees fit. Hindus in some of the, uh, some of the big healing crusades in India, Hindus are saved. Hindus are healed. How can that be? They don't even believe in God. You see, the power of God flows through faith, and God doesn't mind who provides it. Amen? There's a team of believing people believing for healing for those people. God loves the Hindus. Don't think he doesn't. He doesn't love the Hindu any less than he loves you. Amen. God loves the Muslims. And there's great visitations of God visiting the Muslims at this time. Oh, great revivals are happening in Iran. Sometimes the most hostile place to live in all the earth could be Iran, it could be said. But God is revealing himself to these people. God will not be boxed in. His movings of his spirit will not be boxed in. His word will not be boxed in. He's an unboxable God. Turn to the person next to you and say, I serve an unboxable God. You are not going to understand everything that God does or how he does it because Job here is on earth. He lost everything that he owned. His own health was down here. And yet God is winning a battle with Satan up there. And he, and he was oblivious to this, to this uh, war going on. Job didn't know that there was a big conversation going on between God and Satan himself. You see, there's things that we're not going to understand. God will not be categorized, and certainly God will not be tamed. He will not be tamed, amen? He will not be tamed. He'll do things. We try to, uh, I don't know, we seem to want to understand, and unless we seem to un want to understand it, we think, oh, that can't be true. And so uh, elevating our own intellect against the ways of God. I mean, God will do things just the way that he sees fit. When the Spirit of God moves upon this region, and God is going to, and is moving on this region now, 
People are starting to come into our services and don't even know. One bloke came in about a month or two ago and he was lost. 7.30 at night and he's lost. He's making his way to, uh, where was he going? Uh, To uh, Georgetown and he got lost. And he says, I saw the cross and I had to come in. He says, I've never been in a church before. And he gave his life to Christ that night. Amazing thing. He says, I've never been in a church before. He says, I've never owned a Bible before. And he said, but I had to come in. He says, I saw the cross and I was listening to your messages. He was sitting on the veranda. I didn't know he was there. But when he stood up, I could hear and he came in and he got, and he got born again. What a catastrophe. <laughs> what an amazing thing. We put some money in his pocket. Someone robbed him of all his money, all his cash cards and everything. He lost everything that night. We sent him on his way with the Bible. We sent him on his way with salvation. Was I the answer? Was this church the answer? No. Jesus is always the answer. Amen. We take credit for none of it. We give God all the glory. And when we continue to give God, and when you give, continue to give God, God all the glory, he'll continue to give the victory. Amen. Don't take the glory for yourself when the Lord begins to breathe upon what he's got you to do. Amen. Because his, his, his spirit is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says Zechariah 4, 4, 6. And so his grace, mercy and unconditional love, they know no limits. You think I, I'm a ship that can't be salvaged. I'm deeper than the Titanic. I tell you what, God can raise the Titanic if he wanted to. Why in our puny peanut of a brain, in our three-dimensional world, do we think that for a moment that we can comprehend the vastness of a multi-multi-dimensional God? Amen? A physicist tells me uh, uh, that there are probably Chuck Missler, the, the NASA physicist, and, and uh, he said there were probably ten dimensions, four unknowable. God works in dimensions. We only basically know three dimensions. Most of us only work in three dimensions or can comprehend three dimensions. But it's possible that God works in more than 10 dimensions, not even knowable to our peanut of a brain. And so to reduce God to our level of intellect is to surely give God the greatest insult. Amen? Don't reduce God to your level of intellect. Understand that he is God. Amen? What is man that you are mindful of him, says David? God who knows no limitations. But he did create the principles of faith and trust so that we could have a relationship with him through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the progressive revelation of God to man. He was in the days of creation. He was the word, amen. And God said he was the word. He was Elohim, God the creator, and the spirit of God brooded over the waters of the deep, amen. And so the three part of the Trinity were there in verses 1, 2, and 3 of creation, amen. But Jesus became flesh and dwelt amongst us in John chapter 1, verse 14. And he dwelt amongst us, amen. And so Jesus is the progressive revelation of God to man, amen. And we place our faith in Christ that we can have a relationship with even the Father, amen. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. God could not be plainer in speech when he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is speaking to Isaiah, Isaiah 55. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. We, de- we cannot comprehend the way that God does things. And when we read the book of Job, his friends in 40 chapters tried to explain everything. And the Lord himself would have killed them because they got it all wrong. 
And they took 40 chapters to get it all wrong. I mean, it was all wrong. And I'm thinking, if I, if I thought of some of those things, I'm thinking, oh, they were pretty good. But they used the word of God against Job. Amen? But the Lord says he goes out of his way to make a way that man be reconciled to God, not cut off from God. The word of God and the person of Jesus Christ is so that you would have access to the Father, not that the door would be shut. Amen? The gospel message is so that you would be included in those who would have faith in him. And here in, a, in the book of, end of a book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes has only 12 chapters. It's a fairly small book. And he says, hear the conclusion of the matter. This is Solomon. After rambling on for 12 chapters, Solomon come to the end of himself and he says, here is the end of the matter, of the whole matter. He said, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's verses 13 and 14. Amazing, isn't it? Fear God. That is the conclusion of the whole matter. That's, that's what we, I can understand that. I can understand that. I can't understand how God made light at 302,000 kilometers a second. I can't understand that. I don't know how he did that. But I can understand that. Fear God. The friends of Job, Eliopaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, Zophar, the Namathalite. They declared the greatness of God, the awesomeness of God, the justice of God, all the wonderful attributes of a loving God, and they used it against their mate Job. What a terrible thing, amen? Sometimes mates will do that. We just get it all wrong. We just get it all wrong. The media uses the same tactics to condemn the church. The media do exactly the same thing. And Satan is still the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. People will come and they'll accuse the brethren. Are we without fault? No, we're not. We make mistakes. I'm here. I make mistakes. I mean, we all make mistakes. Sometimes I think, that was a bad call, Jeff. Sometimes I play my own messages back and I think, Jeff, you could have said that a bit better. I mean, someone could have been offended by that. But there's, you're not going to find perfection in this place. But we, we, are, we have a relationship with the one who is perfected. And the one who brings us into perfection is Jesus Christ. Amen. So you turn around, you look around, you say, oh, there's hypocrites in that place. And you say, yeah, yep, yeah, I'm here. Have you got it all together? No. It's the blood of Jesus which washes and cleanses every one of us. Amen. Amen. John 3, 17, it says, For God didn't send his son into the world to, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Beautiful, isn't it? I'm going to finish, finish up right now as Jules comes to the keys going to miss a whole heap and you're thinking, oh, thank God for that, Jeff. Thank God for that. Today, you know, there's people here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. In every service, there's always a couple. Always. Most unlikely people come out. You're thinking, oh, I didn't know that. But Jesus comes by invitation. In John 1.12, he says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God's intent to come to the world wasn't to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. There is none who would be more delighted than Jesus himself that you would be saved, that you would give your life to Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is simple. 
I'll put it in a couple of sentences. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we're still sinning, while I was still doing this, while I was still blaspheming, while I was still hating God, Christ died for us. Christ died for the guy who put a spear in his side. Christ died for the guy who was tearing out his beard. Christ died for the people who were spitting on him. Amen? He still, but God demonstrated his love. He just didn't tell us about it. He demonstrated, the cross is a demonstration of the love of Christ. And they say, well, Jesus, how much do you love me? And he stretched out in his arms like this. And he said, this much? This how much I love you. The Roman Empire's instrument of death, the brutal cross, has become to us a symbol of eternal life. You see how God won that round as well? And he says the Satan wouldn't have even killed him had he had known he would crucifying the Lord of glory. Amen? Because it was futile. Because we're like we're little millions of Jesuses all over the planet now. That's what you and I are on. We're filled with the Spirit of God, amen? And you're a witness to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His blood was shed when Jesus, with his last breath, said, It is finished. Everybody around thought it is, his life is finished. But no, that's not the answer. That's not what Jesus meant when he said with his last words, It is finished. It, it was not his life that was finished, or he, in it, which he said with his literal dying breath, but his mission and mandate foreordained before the foundation of the earth that you and I would be redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus as a lamb without spot or blemish and accomplished. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now, if you would. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, never done it. Perhaps you've walked away from God and, you've, and you're at the end of the rope and God said, tie a knot, tie a knot. If you would receive Jesus today, am I promising a bed of roses and, or a hunky-dory life where not a thing can go wrong? No, not at all. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Most people in this room, I would say most, have received Jesus as the Lord and Saviour. Are we perfect? No, we look to the one who is. Our sins are forgiven and I am now the righteousness of God in Christ. And you say, you walk around as if you don't have a burden on your back. No, when you get rid of the burden of sin from your life, you will walk differently. You will talk differently. You will act differently. The interests of others will be above even your own. You see, it changes your whole nature. The Bible says, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And you say, I'm not used to that terminology, born again. What? I don't understand that. But it means that you are given a nature like Christ. And you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. Who would like the new? Oh, it's the new. Oh, it's great, isn't it? When you're a new person. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you pray this prayer after me. Father, in the name of Jesus. I come to you now. I come to you now. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. I turn away from my sin. I turn away from my sin. I ask that you forgive me. I ask that you forgive me. That you wash and cleanse me with the blood of Jesus. Wash and cleanse me with the blood of Jesus. I pray that you give me a new nature like yours. I pray that you give me a new nature like yours. That I be born again of the Spirit of God. That I be 
I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, come and live in my life. Holy Spirit, come and live in my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you've if you've prayed that prayer and really, really meant it, and somehow that's something's changing in your life, I, I encourage you. Come to the front. I'm going to open up the altar. If you need healing in your body, I know some people had some things wrong in their body. There's healing. There's healing here in the house. I don't heal anybody, but when I pray, the power of God flows through my faith and there's a heavenly intervention that can come into your life and bring health, healing and wholeness. I'm going to open up the altar. If you need healing in your body, but if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, make a public declaration. I encourage you, be bold. And just come and walk out the front. You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. I want to thank you all for coming today. I pray that you were blessed. pray that the Spirit of God would just touch your family. I pray for the peace of heaven to rest upon every single person today. I pray the blessing. Release the blessing of God over every single person today. In Jesus' name, touch your people whom you love so dearly. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. stillness I know that you No more.